Well, I have had the most amazing and informative conversation with Gary Brecker. He's told me alternative drugs for ADHD. He's told me the reason why you should not eat at altitude and how you can get into a good mood in only eight minutes, which will last four hours. Hi, I'm Davinia Taylor and welcome to Hack Your Health a podcast which can support a fast track to feeling your best, boosting your mood and uplifting your general outlook on life. My biohacking journey began over eight years ago, which led me to having a ridiculously inquiring mind, always asking questions and searching for the answers. For example, why do I sometimes lose focus and what makes me sign up to a marathon at 45? Or one of my first ever questions, What the hell makes me so allergic to alcohol that I can't ever drink again? And how do I manage that? After all, what is addiction and how can it be tamed? Over the years, I've done tons of research and become my own N of one experiment, trying and testing some of the most out there and fringe hypotheses to find out what actually works for me. Me being an average middle-aged British woman with the usual ups and downs of 21st century living. And now I want to share with you what I've learned. I'll be joined by some of the best visionaries in the health and biohacking space, asking them to put forward their arguments and suggestions that could support your health and well-being. As with everything, there is never a one-size-fits-all approach. So I ask you, take these conversations as food for thought. The advice you hear should never be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. But whatever you do, stay inquisitive. And as always, I love your feedback and your experience about what we talk about. And thanks to Nachido, who are our partner for this episode. You'll hear more about their great products later on in the show. Now let's go and hack your health. My guest today is human biologist and founder of the 10X Health System. With more than 20 years of biohacking and functional medicine experience, he is obsessed with the function and performance of the human body, helping people achieve peak performance in their own bodies. And get this, in his early career, he worked as a mortality modeling expert in the insurance industry using medical records and demographic data to predict mortality, i.e. how someone's going to die to the month. Oh my God. (laughs) how ironic welcome gary brecker you uh, keep people alive now yeah that's what i do you know it's so (laughs) funny because as soon as i start to talk about my previous career everybody all of a sudden becomes more interested in that than what i do today but i was a mortality expert for the insurance industry so essentially if we got uh five years of medical records on you and five years of demographic data uh, we could tell the insurance company how long you had to live uh to the month and as astounding as that is, you know, it's actually one of the more perfected sciences in the world because you have to remember that insurance companies, you know, when they take a risk on your life, uh, they're only betting on one variable. You know, if they put $25 million or $50 million worth of risk on your life, um, the only variable that they really care about is, you know, how many more months do you have left on Earth? And so they also capture data that no other medical enterprise has, which is the day, date, time, location, and cause of death. And they triangulate that back and they realize, you know, what pharmaceutical accelerated this person's death? What deficiencies accelerated this person's death? You know, what was missing from this person's body that actually caused um, their lifespan or health span to shorten? So it's a fascinating science. I mean, I guess that gave you one hell of a foundation to, first of all, interpret data, but also interpret 
what's killing everybody and how to stop it. And I suppose you having that insight, that, I mean, exclusive insight, helped you develop 10X to be such a, well, it's a phenomenal empire. I don't want to go into where you're heading with that with uh, your lovely wife, Sage. Yes, there's no question. I mean, uh, you know, by really studying about what makes humans deal with some of the most common consequences that we chalk up to aging, things like brain fog and poor delta wave of sleep and weight gain and water retention and poor response to exercise and lack of cognitive function, all of these things that we chalk up to being a consequence of aging aren't a consequence of aging at all. They are a consequence of missing raw material in the human body simple deficiencies in nutrients in the human body. And if you go into the body and you um, search for which of those nutrients are missing and you replace them, absolutely phenomenal things happen. I mean, in fact, I always say that if I was to boil my entire career down to a single sentence, um, it would be that the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. And nothing is more true than that statement. There's not a single disease process that affects mankind that does not have its roots in the absence of blood oxygen. So the question is, how do we get more blood oxygen? How do we manage oxygen in the body better? What are some of the things that we can do for no money, for some money um, to actually go into the human body and improve the way that it manages oxygen? Because aging is what's called a mitochondrial disease, the powerhouse of the cell. You know, eventually as this gets less and less efficient, um, and managing oxygen, we have the progression of aging. And so we also discovered in the, in the mortality space that better than 85% of all of the ailments that affect mankind are actually not conditions, things that are happening to us. They are things that are happening within us. Meaning if I was able to magically go into your body and just start to deplete certain nutrients, let's say I went into your body and began to deplete vitamin D3. Eventually, you would develop rheumatoid arthritis-like symptoms. You wouldn't have rheumatoid arthritis, but you would develop the exact same symptoms. If I was able to go into your body and affect the way that you convert an amino acid called tryptophan into a neurotransmitter called serotonin, you would have mood disturbance and eventually you would be depressed. If I was able to go in and magically deplete dopamine, you would eventually be driven toward addictive behavior because it's the main driver of, of mood. And so... You know, when we start talking about optimal health and, and biohacking and optimization, there are so many directions that people can go that I always try to bring everything back to, you know, like like the spokes of a wheel. Where can we bring everything into one common hub? And they all meet at a process in the human body called methylation. Okay, right. So I've spoke about methylation before, and I know it's it happens over a billion times in one second to our body. So it's got to be kind of important. Can you just give us some examples of what methylation does for us in the most simplistic of terms? Because it's super, super famous at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so first we have to start with the concept, the truth that there is not a single compound known to mankind, not one. There's not a vitamin, a mineral, an amino acid, a nutrient, a protein, a fat, a carbohydrate, nothing that we put into the human body that is used in the format that we put it in. Everything that enters the human body gets converted into its usable form. So for example, we pull crude oil out of the ground, but you cannot put crude oil into your gas tank because the car does not understand that fuel source. 
Crude oil has to be refined into gasoline, and then the car can operate. Then the vehicle can run. Human beings are no different. When we put raw materials into our body, protein, fat, carbohydrates, minerals, nutrients, vitamins, amino acids, crude oil, our body refines those into gasoline, into the usable form. That refining process is called methylation. And it is the most important process that human beings go through. And it is different in every person. I mean, one of the biggest fallacies in all of modern medicine is that what goes into my body and goes into your body and goes into the listeners on this podcast body is all treated ex exactly the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you don't know what your body can refine and what it can't, you have a deficiency. And that deficiency leads to some of the most common ailments that we face. You know, I, I spoke at a conference a few weeks ago. It was a, a very large ballroom full of physicians. And I asked an entire room full of physicians. I said, how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you right now are treating patients for genetically inherited diseases? Genetically inherited hypertension, high blood pressure. Half the hands went up. Genetically inherited hypothyroid. Another half of the hands went up. How about genetically inherited hypertriglyceridemia, hyperinsulinemia, hypercholesterolemia, or drug and alcohol addiction, or even depression and anxiety, which runs in families? And by the time I had named all of those conditions, every hand in the room was up. And I said, well, if we're treating patients for these genetically inherited diseases, then that means there is a gene that's being passed down um, from generation to generation. Well, understand that we've mapped the entire human genome. There's not one gene in the human body that we don't know. And I asked that room full of physicians, I said, can any of you tell me what gene causes any of those diseases? And they couldn't. And the reason why they couldn't tell me what gene causes any of those diseases is because that gene does not exist, which means those diseases do not exist. So what happens is we do not pass disease from generation to generation. We pass the inability to refine a raw material, which causes a deficiency, which leads to that disease. And this is true in hypertension and hypothyroid and in weight gain and water retention and poor hormone balance and lack of deep sleep and brain fog and, and all kinds of conditions. So if we would just go into our body, ask it the right questions. Hey, what can I provide you to help you do your job? Your body will give you a very specific set of answers. You can actually test for this methylation where it is broken and where it is working by doing a, a simple DNA test, a little cheek swab with a Q-tip. And then it will tell you, these are the raw materials you can break down. These are the raw materials you need to supplement with. And for the rest of your lifetime, you will never guess on what you need to supplement with. You see, most of your listeners are actually just supplementing for the sake of supplementing. If I was to go to their, you know, supplement cabinet right now and open it up, I'd see, you know, St. John's wort and salt palmento and CoQ10 and turmeric and curcumin and sorbic acid and a multivitamin, and, you know, mega three fatty acid, you know, all this stuff. And if you ask them, why are you taking that? You know, what, what is it for? I mean, I don't care about the quality of the supplement. The question is, does your body need it? When you supplement human beings for deficiency, magic things happen. Magic things happen in the human body when you give it the raw materials that it needs to do its job. So where do we get these tests and how long does it take to get the results? Because I know what my listeners are like. They're like, give me the test. I need it now. I need the information. I need to be well. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. 
you can go to 10x, the number 10, the letter X, healthtest.com, 10xhealthtest.com, and you can order the gene test there. You will do this test once in your lifetime. And what it will do is it will tell you what your body methylates and what it does. Very simple. Just to be clear, by methylation, it's what your body converts or what genes your body can turn on or turn off to either go towards disease or go towards health. Am I right in saying that? That's exactly right. So, you know, take, for example, the most common gene mutation in the world, which is called MTHFR. Which really looks rude. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We won't tell your listeners what the nickname is for that gene, but... I happen. To, <laughs> I think you happen to be one. Um, so <laughs> I, I am indeed a mofo. <laughs> I am indeed. <laughs> well, thank. You. I got it from my mother. Um, but the MTHFR gene mutation, which forty-four percent of the population has, is responsible for such a myriad of seemingly unrelated conditions: anxiety, depression, brain fog, almost all postpartum depression in pregnant females is directly related to that gene. Because what happens when women get pregnant? Their doctor tells them, especially in the UK, to take high doses of folic acid. And folic acid, um, if you have that gene mutation, cannot be processed. You cannot break down folic acid. So um, I'm right in saying that folic acid is a synthetic version of folate. And that folate is paramount for, well, it, it's, it's a vitamin, isn't it? It's one of the Bs. Yes, yes. It's found all over the surface of the earth, yep. And that particular B vitamin is converted from folate into another amino acid, which becomes a methyl donor? Correct. That's right, isn't it? Okay, so methyl donor groups. What, what is a bloody methyl donor group? I think, I think, bearing in mind I didn't do any science at school, I generally fell asleep because I was hungover, um... A methyl donor is that magic ingredient that converts the food we put in our mouths into something usable, something productive, Correct. right? Correct. Okay, good. So we all need folate, not folic acid, just in case we do have the MTHFR naughty variant that can trip you right up. Because I, I have postpartum depression ferociously. Nobody told me anything about folate, folic acid. It was only through desperation that I found out. Super interesting. Oh, if you're a female and you get pregnant and you have that gene mutation, which 45%, 44% of the population has, and you take high doses of folic acid because your doctor tells you to take high doses of folic acid um, because he says it or she says it prevents a neural tube defect, which is patently false, by the way, uh, then you, you start to take this prenatal vitamin with 1,400% of the daily allowance of folic acid. You will develop postpartum depression. And then eventually when the pregnancy ends you will stop taking the prenatal vitamin and the symptoms will go away. So you will blame it on the pregnancy, not on the vitamin. So remember, folic acid doesn't occur anywhere naturally in nature. You cannot find folic acid anywhere on the surface of the earth. We make it in a laboratory. And so it's a synthetic form. Our body, um, 44% of the population can't process it. When we pump our bodies full of folic acid with that genetic mutation, it causes attention deficit disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorders. You think of the kind of foods that we feed children before they go off to school in the morning. They are folic acid laden foods. 
Full. I mean, I think there's uh, some laws been passed in the UK that all cereals have to be pumped full of folic acid. It was on the news the other day. And I'm like, what about the mofos? We're all going to get even worse. You know, moms don't understand. You know, kids are acting out and their kids are getting blamed. It's because they are literally drunk on folic acid that they can't metabolize. That's doing them no favors. And, and if you think about it, you know, when we understand, well, what is what does methylation do? Well, part of the process of methylation, it does three things. Um, and number one, it helps to quiet the mind. Um, so when we create thought in our mind, it is not um, that the brain only creates thought. We also dismantle thought. It is just as important to be able to dismantle thought as it is to be able to create a thought. And here's why. Because if I create thought at a faster rate than I break it down, then my mind becomes clouded. And we call this attention deficit disorder. Attention deficit disorder is not an attention deficit at all. It's an attention overload disorder. It's too many windows open at the same time because we're not degrading our thought at the right rate. Now, modern medicine comes in and says, okay, if the mind is racing, let's put an amphetamine into the body, Adderall, Vyvanse, to race the central nervous system to match the pace of the mind, which is a terrible solution. Rather than put the right amino acid into the body, SAMe, L-methionine, and a B-complex, put those back into the body so that we can properly quiet the mind. In fact, your listeners that are listening right now, if you have the gene mutation COMT, this is the second most common gene mutation in the world, you have one of two types of sleep patterns. You lay down to go to bed at night and you're tired, but you can't fall asleep because your mind keeps you awake. And the kind of things that are running through your head are the most innocuous little thoughts. You will lay there exhausted. And you will think about, did I get everything on my grocery list? Um, does my belt match my shoes? Um, did I return that email? <laughs> right? What colored dishes am I going to use for the party next weekend? You know, like the- <laughs> yeah, real groundbreaking stuff, yeah. really gra- you know, earth shattering stuff. And, and, and that could easily wait until the next day, because when your environment quiets, your mind wakes up. And so, so many of your listeners have this and they just think they're poor sleepers. They're actually not poor sleepers. They just lack the right amino acid balance to quiet the mind. And sometimes they're told they have ADD or ADHD, which they don't have. Uh, People that have attention deficit disorder do not lack the ability to pay attention. They lack the ability to pay attention to so many things. And if you have a genetic break just below that with MTHFR, then you are suffering from anxiety. And your listeners that either have suffered from anxiety or are suffering from it or know somebody that's suffering from anxiety can get right to the fact by asking these three questions. You can prove that their anxiety is not coming from a cluster of symptoms outside their body. You can prove that it's actually coming from their physiology. The first question you ask them is, have you had anxiety on and off throughout your entire lifetime? They will almost always say yes. The second question is, Is it difficult for you to point to the specific trigger that causes it? They'll also say yes. Yes, sometimes I understand the trigger, but sometimes I can just be driving home from work on an otherwise innocuous day and I can start to be overwhelmed by anxiety, right? I don't need to be claustrophobic and stepping onto a crowded elevator or afraid of heights and and walking to the edge of a 30th floor balcony. I can feel anxiety when I'm at dinner with my family or my friends in a perfectly safe environment. I can begin to be overwhelmed anxiety. This is a sign that this is coming from your methylation, right? And so when you put the right amino acid and methylated nutrients 
5-methylfolate back into the human body, you see anxiety take a permanent backseat. The third question is, you know, if you've ever tried anti-anxiety medications, did they work? And they'll tell you, no, they make me feel like a zombie. Right, Xanax, zolipedum nitrate, diazepam, those things make me feel like the zombie. It's no different with depression, right? In the United States, we define depression as an inadequate supply of serotonin. So if you are low on serotonin, you are by definition depressed. So you would think that the fix would be to raise serotonin, right? But that's not what we do. We take people that are depressed. We put them on something called an SSRI, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So what this does is it rations what little serotonin these people have. So by definition, it never raises serotonin. So by definition, it never ends depression. But if we understand that the neurotransmitter serotonin is made in the gut from the process of methylation, this process that human beings go and you convert an amino acid tryptophan, crude oil, into the neurotransmitter, serotonin, gasoline. Car does, the car can't run on tryptophan. It runs on, on serotonin. And that enters the mind. Now, what if you can't, what if you have an impaired conversion, right? And now you have low serotonin. Well, 90% of the serotonin in the body resides in the gut. If you don't have it here, you can't have it here. So rarely does depression begin out here. It begins right here. You would not believe how easy it is to turn the serotonin factory back on. Once you turn the serotonin factory back on, serotonin rises to normal levels. Serotonin travels what's uh, what's called the vagus nerve and enters the brain and you have normopathic mood. So tryptophan, we're talking things like, uh, I mean, the classic one they say is turkey, but I guess you you could just take um, 5-HTP or something like that. And what would you combine that with? Or would you actually let's talk about methylated supplements and the difference? Yes. So methylated supplements are supplements that have actually jumped over the genes instructions and already completed the refining process. So in other words, a methylated vitamin would not be crude oil. A methylated vitamin would be gasoline. It would be the already converted version of that nutrient. A methylated vitamin would not be folic acid. It would be methylfolate, right? A methylated vitamin would not be cyanocobalamin. It would be methylcobalamin. So in other words, if the body can't make the conversion, we make the conversion for you and just give you that raw material. Gary, let me just ask you, would that not make the body more lazy at doing its thing, at methylating? Are we not here to try and train the body to do it naturally? Or just do we just forget that if you carry in that gene, all your supplements need to be methylated? No. So um, if you think about it, the, the genes you're born with are the genes you die with. So if your body is missing the instruction, so the gene is not what actually performs the task. The gene is the blueprint that the architect drew that is given to the body as a set of instructions, right? So if you're not giving the blueprint, if you're not giving the instructions to the body, that process will never work. The genes you're born with are the genes you die with. So you only supplement for deficiency. You find out what can I not convert and I just supplement for with the things I cannot convert. I mean, it, magic things happen to the human body when you actually give it the raw materials that it needs to do its job. The people that we're talking about that suffer from anxiety or depression or some of these other conditions, in almost every case, they also suffer from gut issues, right? I have never met a person with severe lifelong anxiety 
that did not also have severe gut issues. So why would anxiety and gut issues be related? Because serotonin determines the motility of the gut, and it also determines the main driver of mood, the main driver of our emotional state. And so when you fix methylation, you fix broken DNA in every single cell in the human body. And it is the least invasive thing that we can do for human beings because you are only supplementing for deficiency, cognitive function, mental acuity, short-term recall, waking energy, waking and water retention. You know, when, when hormones don't have the right raw materials to build healthy levels, we have hormone disruption. And a lot of these patients end up on hormone therapy. They don't need hormone therapy. They need the precursor so the body can make hormones. So for example, you show me a male or a female that's deficient in testosterone. If you look at what testosterone is made from, it's made from the methylated nutrient DHEA. DHEA. A is made from vitamin D3. So you show me someone who's deficient in DHEA and deficient in D3, I will show you somebody that is low on testosterone. And what are the implications for low testosterone for both men and women, just to give my uh, listeners an idea? Well, the number one primary role of testosterone in men and women is not male characteristics. It's not facial hair, aggression, deep voice, you know, um, none of those things, muscles. The primary role of testosterone in men and women is to put pressure on the bone marrow to create new red blood cells. So what does this mean? It's called erythropoiesis. That means if testosterone is low, they are low on red blood cell and hemoglobin. That's a fact. So what happens when you're low on red blood cell and hemoglobin? Your body doesn't transport oxygen well. And what's the consequence of that? You're low on energy. But guess what? You're low on energy and you're exhausted and you can't sleep. Ask a physician sometimes, why is it that people that, that are the most exhausted sleep the worst and their face will go blank? <laughs> hey, what do you mean by that? I've never heard of that symptom before. <laughs> yeah, right. Why is it that people that are the most exhausted sleep the worst? You know, some of your listeners right now might, might be thinking, you know, I just don't have the same energy level I used to have. And for some reason, I'm not sleeping very well. Well, you would think that somebody that's very exhausted would actually sleep very well. But the truth is you're exhausted because you're low on blood oxygen. You are hypoxic, slightly hypoxic. Small changes in the body's ability to transport oxygen have major impacts on energy. Everything that you perceive about energy, everything, is nothing more than oxygen in your blood. If you told me, Gary, I had a lot of energy today, physiologically, what you're saying is I had a lot of oxygen in my blood today. So let's say that you're low on blood oxygen because you're low on testosterone, which makes you low on red blood cell and hemoglobin, right? Let's say you're low on blood oxygen. And now, so you're kind of tired throughout the day, right? Especially in the afternoon, sometime between two and four in the afternoon, you have a sinking spell. So now you lay down to go to, go to sleep at night, right? What happens when you start to go to sleep? Your respiratory rate starts to go down. As your respiratory rate becomes more shallow, the amount of blood oxygen starts to drop. It's already low. It starts to drop even lower. When that blood oxygen gets to a critical level, your brain notices that and it wakes you up. How does it wake you up? It pulses cortisol. So if you actually track the sleep of an exhausted person throughout the night, they look like a bouncing rubber ball going down the hallway because they're low on blood oxygen and they can't sleep. You fix the blood oxygen, you fix the energy and the sleep. And that's why I think methylation is so important because you go into their body and you go, okay, they're, they're deficient in D3, they're deficient in DHEA. Let's give them those two raw materials. The body begins to produce healthy levels of testosterone, puts pressure on the bone marrow, makes more red blood cells and hemoglobin, body carries more oxygen, they have more energy. Such a simple fix. 
I mean, why? I, I wanted to ask you this as one of my uh, first questions. I mean, where do you see health going? I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse. You're always at the forefront of what's next, what's next. You know, as a, as a globe, where are we going wrong and where, where should we be directing our attention? Well, you know, I think um, if the pandemic did anything for us, right, whether you trust or distrust, you know, the government influence over, over modern medicine, it woke a lot of people up. And I'm not talking about whether you're pro or anti-vaccine. It woke a lot of people up to the importance of their own health. There is a whole groundswell of what I call citizen scientists. Like they're taking health into their own hands, right? In fact, the fastest growing area of medicine in the United States is what we call functional medicine, wellness. This is, these are people that are trying to stay out of the system. Right. They're trying not to go into the system because, you know, in, in, in the United States and, and in Europe, you know, we have a sick care system. We really don't have a health care. Yeah. Well, ours is under huge stress at the moment. We have a um, free up a point of entry and, you know, it's completely underfunded. We have nurses striking at the moment. Our ambulance service is on strike and it's phenomenally it's a scary situation because we've always been able to fall back on our national health service in time of emergency if you get you know if you if you need a hip replacement if you've got cancer or god forbid you're in a car crash it's there and right now we all feel the pinch it's more than a pinch it's being strangled so something's got to change no one knows how so you're right about the pandemic all of a sudden you know it's like okay this is really happening what we are very ill as a society aren't we Oh, we're very ill as a society. And one of the worst things we ever did, uh, you know, I, I have a saying, you know, that aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. The more aggressively we comfort, the faster we age. We have got to stop telling grandma not to go outside. It's too cold. Not to go outside. It's too hot. Just to lay down, just to rest and relax, to eat at the very first pang of hunger. Hunger is actually very good for you. Your body is alert and awake and focused and in a low glycemic state when you are hungry. Um, the less we challenge our bodies, the weaker it becomes. If you don't load a bone, it will not strengthen. If you don't actually tear a muscle, it will not grow. If you don't challenge the immune system, it will weaken. And what you're seeing now is the, is the global consequences of a globally weakened immune system. I see it in thousands of patients because we pull blood work on every patient that comes through our door tens of thousands of patients, and you can just see a collapse in the immune profile. So what's the consequence of that? Monkeypox. Like, no one's even heard of monkeypox. <laughs> I know. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> what's that one? Monkeypox. And then we're, we're on our ninth variant of COVID, Omicron, Delta, Seta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda. I mean, why would we have so many variants? Because we have progressively weakened the immune system. The worst thing that ever happened to human immunity was social distancing, masking, and residential quarantine. And again, that is statistically very valid information. And we vaccinated a population for very narrow um, immunity. And that narrow immunity is proving to be inefficient, maybe lasting 90 days instead of trusting our God-given immune system, which provides broad immunity and completely negating the fact that we have um, what's called innate and acquired immunity in our, in our bodies and the ability to actually be naturally infected and develop uh, a defense. And all of this has to do with you know, how strong and resilient are our bodies? Have we asked our bodies the right question? What do you need to do your job? And that's why I think every single person should do that test. It's a $600 test. You do it once in your lifetime. I think every human being should take that test once in their life. I mean, I guess you could do it on birth, couldn't you? As soon as you're born, your parents would have a blueprint via epigenetics. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
where your messaging has gone wrong due to your grandparents, great-grandparents' lifestyle and dietary choices of that time. I guess that impacts you. Or, I mean, whether it was their choice or not, or trauma. I know things like that can really affect the messaging of how your genes are expressed, positively or negatively. And it's not necessarily your fault, but it'd be just nice to know instead of guessing and hitting like middle age, hitting 50 and go, bloody hell, I should have been taking methylated bloody folate, you know, <laughs> all this time. I would have had a great life. Right. They get into their 50s. They start waking up sore and achy every morning like they had a workout the day before when they haven't. When they get out of bed in the mornings, they go to touch the ground and the soles of their feet and ankles are tender when they walk to the bathroom to take their first pee. Um, they're affected by brain fog. They get a great idea in the bedroom. They walk to the kitchen. They wonder what the heck they're doing in the kitchen. And they accept all of this as a consequence of aging. That is complete nonsense. Right. Libido has been, you know, left the building nine months ago or a year ago. And the rest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and, and the rest. And they've got a little weight gain, and you know, generally right around the middle, right below the belly button, moving laterally to the flanks, which is actually hormone imbalance and water retention. And they've never bothered to ask their their body, what do you need to do your job? Right. And they ask their neighbor and their doctor and their spouse and their friend and their gym trainer. And all <laughs> you know, it's just guesswork. Right. Yeah. And it costs a fortune in not just not not just financially, because you're just generally buying bits and pieces from every single pharmaceutical company you can find. But also it's time, isn't it? It's wasted time because when you're tired, less gets done, less fun gets done. It's harder to be a mom. It's harder to be a colleague. It's harder to be a wife when you're exhausted really. And if you're, or should I just say undermethylated? Yeah, you're undermethylated. So it's so true. And, and these are easy, simple, you know, solutions to actually get, you know, to, um, to find out, you need to take a cheek swab, you find out where your methylation is broken, you supplement for that deficiency and, and, and that's it. I mean, how long does the body take to sort of like start to repair? How much of a rush is the body in? to repair and work? Three to 14 days. Most people notice it in, Incredible. in three days incredible. I mean, how great is this conversation with Gary Brecker? I love his energy. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about our brilliant episode partner, Nachido. I am a huge advocate of NAD. I've been going on about it for years, but sometimes it's really impractical to get yourself into a clinic and get it delivered intravenously, which actually can take about four to six hours. Now there's an oral supplement available called Nachido Time Plus, and it's been developed by a team of UK scientists. They've done all the clinical trials to show it actually works, which is very unusual for a supplement. In their trials, they tested NAD levels in blood and saw the levels rise in as little as one week. Key benefits are energy, mental focus, reduced brain fog, improved sleep, and quicker recovery from sport. It's really easy to take. You take it morning and in the afternoon and you take three in each session. Super easy, super convenient and super effective. The reason why I love NAD is it keeps you young. So here's an example. You know when you're in your teens or you're in your 20s and you get a hangover and you can survive it, you bounce back better? Well, that's because you've got an abundance of NAD. Fast forward to your 40s and you feel like you could die. That's because you've not got any NAD. So supplementing with Nachido will boost your natural levels of NAD. So if you want to stay younger, be more resilient, reduce brain fog, this is the supplement for you. The subscription cost is £55 per tub and a single cost is £65. 
And to be honest, I generally get my NADIV for as much as £300 a session. So it's a no-brainer. For more information and to purchase, please go to www.nuchido.com forward slash Davinia. That is N-U-C-H-I-D-O.com. You're going to get 20% off with the code Davinia20. Now let's get back to Gary. Right, listen, I want to know, I mean, how old are you, Gary? Sorry to be I'm 53. <laughs> You're 53 and I watch you most days. You work out, you do all sorts of things. Can you just track me through an average day because not one of your traveling days because I want to talk about jet lag and traveling and your rules but give me an idea of your your schedule and how does your wife fit in with it and how does your family work with it because often that's an excuse oh you know I've got kids I've got a husband I've got work I mean you are spinning plates like any super mom is so just 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 share with us how you how you begin and end your day well I'll I'll tell you the uh, first of all the greatest blessing in life is that my entire family is on this journey with I started the company with my fiance, um, now my wife, uh, Sage, and both of my older two kids, my 24-year-old um, daughter my, and my 22-year-old son, they both work for us full-time, both in nursing school, both working their ways um, to, a, to a, uh, their PhDs in, in nursing. And so my family travels with us. The youngest two are homeschooled, right? I mean, because all the nonsense we found going on in the school, so they actually travel with us. It is not uncommon for me to do five cities in six days. Um, you know, this, this month alone, I'm, I'm in, I was in Vegas last night. I'm in LA today. I go to Miami tonight. I'll be in Atlanta on Monday. I'll be in London on Wednesday, Stad, Switzerland, then to Munich and then to Maui. And, and normally that travel would just beat people to death. But if you understand, first of all, your physiology, so you are supplementing for the sake of deficiency. And then the second thing is I have four or five hard and fast rules that I never break. Um, when I travel, um, I always on, on domestic flights, I fast on airplanes. One of the worst things that you can do is eat, um, heavy meals, especially sodium laden meals at altitude, because, um, the first thing to go when you get to altitude at, at high altitudes and dry pressurized air is your taste buds. And so what they do to make up for the lack of taste is they triple, sometimes quadruple the sodium. So this actually dehydrates you and kills the sensation for thirst. If you ever watch any of my Instagram videos, some of the, you know, what I do when I, when I travel internationally and I will eat on an international flight, a flight's under five hours, I fast on those flights. You know, I leave, I go from LA um, later this morning, all the way to Miami. It's a five and a half hour flight. I will hydrate or have black coffee. Every hour on the hour, I will go into the restroom and I will do 10 air or 25 air squats and I will do 25 deep breaths. Breathwork is the most overlooked um, mechanism to reach a state of optimal health that, that, that I think mankind is missing, and it's free. I do three rounds of 30 breaths with a breath hold in between. I have an eight-minute breathwork routine that I do every single day, and I never, ever, ever miss, ever. I will miss a flight to not miss breathwork. Can you tell me why breathwork is so important then? Because, I mean, we, we obviously, guys like Wim Hof and everything have been all over the place uh, promoting it. So it's kind of on everyone's radar. But why are we doing it? Because if I do it on an airplane, I get looked at. In fact, I've been asked, are you OK? And I'm like, I'm trying to do my well-being. Please piss off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, so the three things about breathwork are this. Um, remember I said that the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. Nothing is more true than that statement, right? There is not a single disease etiological pathway known to mankind that does not have its roots in a lack of blood oxygen. 
all cancer begins in an oxygen-deprived environment. So that's a great um, foundation. But the, the, the most important thing is, if you look at what a mood or an emotional state is, like if you said to me, Gary, what is a mood? What is an emotional state? Okay, well, it's a collection of neurotransmitters bound to oxygen. So if you look at elevated moods, elevated emotional states, passion, elation, joy, arousal, libido, all the heck yeah, I won the lottery emotions, right? Versus lower state emotions, despair, jealousy, anger, vengeance, right? Depression, if you look at the lower emotional states. You know what the major difference is between these two? Oxygen is a part of the molecular structure of every elevated emotional state. The reason why no human being has ever woken up laughing or ever will wake up laughing is you do not have the oxidative state to experience laughter out of deep sleep. Can you wake up angry? Yes, because anger does not require any oxygen. Oxygen is actually not a part of that emotional state. So as you deplete oxygen, you deplete mood, you deplete emotional state. If you actually look at the clinical research, I'm working on a, um, a documentary that also Joe Dispenza is going to be in called The Frequency of Truth, where we are actually proving, and there's a study by MIT, if your users actually want to Google MIT, Michigan Institute of Technology, and memory. Just Google that. You can read this clinical study. Essentially, what they've proven is that our emotional state, which is experienced in an area of the brain called the amygdala, is the sole gateway to an area of the brain called the hippocampus where memory is stored. So the amygdala is the only pathway to the hippocampus. Your emotional state is the only gateway to your memory. Your memory is what your conscience pulls from, your prefrontal cortex, and your conscience is your future. So your current emotional state determines what memories you access. What memories you access determine what your conscience perceives and determines your future, which means that your current emotional state determines your future. You will never take control of your future until you learn to master your current emotional state. And the best way to master your current emotional state is to be able to shift it into an elevated position by choice. And the best way to do that is with breath work. If I flood the brain with oxygen, I automatically make available every elevated emotional state. You ever wonder why some people can only reach elevated emotional tears for a short period of time, like a heart monitor, right? And they go on the self-help motivational journey. They read books on gratitude and they wake up in prayer every morning and they try to journal and they go to seminars and events and they watch self-help and motivational and gurus. And they get there and they fall out and they get there and they fall out, right? And so it becomes this lifelong journey to try to feel better, to try to have an elevated emotional state. That is your lack of capacity to sustain elevated emotions, which is directly related to the oxidative state of your tissue. You want to raise your mood and raise your elevated emotional state. You want to rid the body of disease and send a frequency through the body that the 300 billion cells that are going to replicate that day receive in a very healthy way, and then turn over as non-inflamed cells, spend eight minutes doing breath work. Okay, so it, this takes eight minutes to do. You said 30 deep breaths in, a breath hold for how long, roughly? Uh, so you do a maximum breath hold. So the, the truth is now I can do the breath hold for four minutes. When, you're, when people listening to this podcast start, you can probably do it for 10 seconds. You'll work your way up to 30 seconds. But 
when you feel lightheaded, that is the oxygen tension changing in your tissues. That's a good sign. If your lips are tingling and numb. Your fingers are tingling and numb. You feel a temperature change in your neck. All of those are good signs that the oxygen tension is changing in the tissue. So yes, you do 30 breaths like this. You get to 30 breaths, you exhale and you hold as long as you can. Shoot for 10 seconds or more. When you can't hold your breath anymore, you take a deep breath in and you hold that as long as you can. And then you let it out and you start again. The reason why you exhale and hold is to reset the carbohydrate receptor, put an oxygen demand on the body and then flood the blood with oxygen, right? You see, it's not just good enough to put contents into the body and think that it's going to receive them. You can't just eat calcium and have strong bones. You have to load a bone and then have calcium there too, to strengthen it. The body has to ask, you have to tear a muscle and then have protein there to rebuild the muscle. You can't just eat protein and have big muscles. So you can't just hyperventilate and get the benefits of breath work. You, you deep breathe and then breath hold and then inhale hold and then start again. That pattern is very important because you're resetting the body's request for oxygen. I promise you when you've done three rounds of 30 breaths, your emotional state will be through the, try to be in a bad mood coming out of a good breathwork session and it takes eight minutes. And how long does this elevated mood last for? And I guess, is it accumulative? Four and a half, five hours. Great. Four and a half hours. That just, that just gets you through the school run, the working day and a bit of lunch. And then I'm going to have to go again because the kids are coming back. So I had a video of a, of, a, of a very intense travel schedule that I had where, you know, I was, I was going to London and then Paris and Munich and Stad and then all the way from Poland to, uh, to, to the U.S., you know, to a 12 hour um, flight. And I took a 12 hour day flight for, for a reason because I wanted to work on the flight. You know, I wanted to actually get a lot done on the flight. So when I got on the flight, I fasted for the first eight and a half hours. I didn't eat until, you know, we were getting close to our destination. During that eight and a half hours, every hour on the hour, I did 25 deep breaths. I did 25 air squats. I, God only knows what they thought I was doing in the bathroom, right? Because <laughs> I, I did have some strange eye contact coming out for the 10th time. Like, hey, buddy, give it a break. But, you know, I, I came out of the bathroom after the first four hours in the air and I would do 25 air squats, 25 deep breaths. It looked like the cabin had been sprayed with mace. People's legs half off the chair or passed out and eyes, you know, dribbling. Yeah. Yeah. Half drank, bottle, you know, a glass of whiskey on the, on the tray. And it's the middle of the day. I mean, I was wide awake. I could barely stand myself. I worked all 12 hours on the flight felt phenomenal because I fasted, hydrated, air squatted and breathed. And so simple things like that. The other, you know, thing that people overlook is the power of a cold shower. You know, again, if I can, I will take, um, you know, an ice bath. I mean, I, I, I've been very known to request a room in a hotel that has a tub. And then I will find out if there's, if there's an ice maker on the floor and I will literally take the trash can to the ice maker, fill it with ice, dump it in the tub, three minutes minimum, six minutes maximum, once a day, game changer. And if you can't get in a tub with ice and you can take an ice cold shower, you see aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable and therefore we are weak. And if you can't stand in a cold stream of water for 60 seconds, how are you going to even handle the assaults that are about to come at you throughout that day? 
All these little microaggressions that assault your mood shift your emotional state into a depressed emotional state, even for a moment, cause you to recall negative memories, force the conscience to be pulling from negative memories and project a negative future. So if you are strong and robust, you're doing breath work, you're doing cold showers, you fixed your methylation, you stay in an elevated emotional state all the time. I mean, people that meet me are like, Gary, I can't, like your energy is like, it's wearing me out. Like you're, you're running me over. 53 years old, I run around the world like I'm a teenager. Yeah, you do. Fact, you do. Actually, I've watched you. <laughs> and I want everybody to feel this way. Like it's, it's, it's not, optimal health is not that elusive. Right. I mean, we sell a package called Superhuman, which is one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment. You can do the same thing for free by walking on the surface of the earth, learning how to breathe and taking cold showers. And so I, I really want to make a make an impact on mankind and humanity by elevating everybody's you know emotional state and their mood so that they you know project a better um, future. And those are those are three ways to do it. Gary, just quickly, because I know cold showers, everyone's like, it's on everyone's radar, of course. But can you just explain in layman's terms the physiology that why we should get a cold shower? Because it's, it's very, 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 very cold here in winter. And, our, our, you know, we are very lucky in one respect to have very cold water at our disposal. From November through to April, it's freezing. So, I mean, that's a free biohack. So why should we do it? Because knowledge is power for me. If I know there's a reason for me to be so bloody uncomfortable and feel ugh, horrible, like I'm dreading it, go ahead. Just give me a reason and I'll do it. The best is where I get 100% of women that will not do a cold shower into a cold shower. And they will be shutting off this podcast and running to a cold shower by the time I give you the third reason why. So first, you know, what a cold shower does is it causes a peripheral vasoconstriction. You know, we used to think that putting athletes in cold water, remember, I'm a, I'm a health services director for the NFL Alumni Association. So I, I, I sit on their board and we used to think that putting athletes in cold water was beneficial because it reduced inflammation. We know now that that's only 15% of the benefit. When you're submersed in cold water, because water is 29 times more thermogenic than air, meaning it removes heat from the body at 29 times the rate of air. When you submerge yourself in cold water, your liver panics and it dumps a protein into the bloodstream called a cold shock protein. Look these proteins up. When you read about what a cold shock protein can do in your body, it is astounding. What these proteins do is they scour the blood of free radical oxidation and they quadruple the rate of protein synthesis, muscle repair. So imagine if I could repair it four times the rate and if I could get rid of free radicals by not taking anything, by shocking my body in cold water, having my liver panic and flood the blood with natural cold shock proteins. So that's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is when it causes this peripheral vasospasm, it forces all of the oxygen from our extremities, our periphery, into our core and up to our brain. But one thing I rarely hear talked about is that the brain is a non-metabolic organ, which means the harder the brain works, it does not get one ounce more nutrients, right? So if you picked up a weight in the gym and you started to curl with your bicep, right, your body would send more blood flow to that muscle, more nutrients, more oxygen, more amino acids, right, more protein, because it's working hard. That's not how the brain works. You could be sitting in front of a computer watching The Simpsons. Or you can be sitting in front of a computer solving the most complex joint venture partnership, you know, investment 
deal, purchase, sale, you know, a contract that really requires a lot of focus, your brain does not get one ounce more nutrient. Whether it's in a dead sprint or whether it's passed out on the couch. So it's non-metabolic. The harder it works, doesn't increase the amount of nutrients it receives. The difference is when you get in cold water. It forces oxygen from the periphery up into the brain. And now the brain is actually getting more oxygen, more circulation, more blood, more nutrients, even though it's at rest. That's the second thing it does. The third thing is, and this is the one where I, for some reason, it seems to ensnare all the women. Um, if you understand what the definition of a calorie is, the definition of a calorie, calorie is a measure of heat. The definition of a calorie is the amount of energy that it takes to raise one cubic centimeter of water, one degree centigrade. So if a calorie is a measure of heat, what do you think is leaving your body when heat leaves your body? Calories. There is nothing. I mean, nothing, no amount of hits, cardio, weight training, cardiovascular exercise, sprinting, cycling, no, no spin class, no, nothing, not a sauna that will remove fat, strip fat off your body faster than getting in cold water. Nothing comes remotely close to stripping fat off of the human body faster than getting in cold water. Your body goes into a thermogenic state, activates something called brown fat and rids the cell. It turns white fat into energy fast. So by actually submersing yourself in cold water, you are stripping fat off of your body. So those are the three reasons why you want to be taking a cold shower in the morning. I mean, it is, it is crazy that we, we really do fear cold. We really do f- and it's not going to kill us, you know. I mean, obviously, unless you're you're outside or you know, there's, there's there's something dangerous happening in some river or a lake or something like that. That's a different. But we're just talking at home. Everyone always says I'll have a heart attack. Is that true? Not at all. That's absolutely patently false. Um, and by the way, the water doesn't need to be that cold. Fifty degrees Fahrenheit, which is not that cold. Three minutes minimum, six minutes maximum. I see these guys all over, you know, Instagram. They're at ice, ice cold water. It's just above freezing. They put their head underwater, breathe through a straw. That is, that. <laughs> yeah, only eat beef liver, the whole shebang. Yeah, I know these guys. <laughs> your brain is this far inside the surface of your skull. It is not good to bake it, and it is not good to freeze it, right? 50 degrees, three minutes minimum, six minutes maximum is perfect. Strip fat off your body, elevate your mood, elevate your emotional state, force blood into the um, from the periphery into the core, release cold shock proteins, get out and enjoy that for the next seven or eight hours. It is my drug of choice. You try to be in a bad mood getting out of a cold plunge. Can't do it. You know, they say if you want to cure depression, throw somebody in cold water. It's, you know, it's, it's very true. And if you challenge your body like that, if you've taken an ice cold shower and really had to deal with it, um, and you've mentally pushed yourself through that and then you got out and you dried off and put your clothes on, you feel great. When that little nasty Instagram message comes in later in the day, it's going to roll off your back. Yeah. I mean, you get mental resilience, don't you? It's kind of like, um, an instant self-esteem booster without having to sit with a therapist or do any journaling or gratitude lists that take ages and it's not my f- I mean to be honest I mean I, I try doing things like that I just really fear admin and writing and stuff I don't know if it's a hangover from school but I'd much rather just get something physical done feel the oomph and walk out with a bit of a swagger about me you know and that's what cold does for me is it dopamine that's increased yes it skyrockets the production of dopamine remember and dopamine is the main driver of mood we used to say in the mortality space that the absence of dopamine is the presence of addiction. 
And it's very true. The reason why addiction has a tendency to shift is because we only treat the physical addiction. We don't treat the dopamine deficiency. This is why sex addicts become drug addicts. Drug addicts become alcoholics. Alcoholics become gamblers. Gamblers become workoutaholics or they become workaholics because the dopamine deficiency is there. And dopamine is the main driver of behavior. You show me a child that can play video games 12 or 14 hours a day. I will show you a future addict child is not playing the video game because he likes the video game. He's playing the video game because it makes him feel normal. The majority of addiction did not begin as the search for a, a high. It began as the search for normalcy. They didn't wake up in the morning and go, I want to get really banged up. They woke up in the morning and said, I want to feel normal. And as they searched for normalcy, nicotine, alcohol, drugs, um, promiscuous behavior, what have you, as they search for normalcy, they developed an addiction. And now they are running from a low. They're not necessarily running towards a high. This is why I have so much empathy for these people because they're not having their methylation tested and they are not treating the dopamine deficiency. So no matter what you do for them to cure the physical addiction, they will fall back into that cycle because the dopamine deficiency drives the I mean, just before we finish, I just wanted to touch on addiction because there's one thing that you didn't mention and that that's sugar and food. And obviously, forget the pandemic that we've just been through with COVID. What about the pandemic that we're in with obesity? What is your preferred food menu to go to? What do you eat in a day? What do you and your family eat? So here's what I have having for breakfast this morning. Bowl of berries, all berries, right? So fruits that end in berry, blackberry, raspberry, blueberry, strawberry. Um, these are lowest on the glycemic index. Um, <laughs> olive oil. I don't eat bacon very often, but bacon and half an avocado and eggs. And this is an egg with an entire um, uh, salmon in it. So eggs and salmon, avocado, olive oil, and fresh berries. And I, I drink black coffee. Uh, and so if you um, start with the premise that there are there are three essential fatty acids, fats. You don't get these fatty acids, you will die. There are nine essential proteins, right? There are nine essential amino acids. They're proteins. If you don't get these nine essential amino acids, you will die. There is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Right. I mean, because we are told that carbohydrates fuel you for energy. I mean, constantly. And we need carbohydrate. Well, particularly whole grains for digestion and fiber. Do you want to just debunk that for me? Yeah. I mean, whole grains are some of the worst things that you can put in, in, into the human body. There's a great book written by Dr. Perlmutter called The Gut-Brain Connection. And um, you know, it, it, it talks about how our gut really drives our mood and our emotional state and our brain. And high glycemic carbohydrates, white flour, white rice, white bread, white pasta, white potatoes, these things are energy thieves. They provide virtually no um, nutrition and they're thieves of energy. I get 75% of my caloric intake from fat. And I post my blood work to Instagram every 90 days. I have the same blood fat as a vegan. I have the same blood fat as a vegan. I eat grass-fed meats, wild-caught fish. I eat whole eggs. I eat coconut oil, olive oil, nuts, avocados. I eat a high a diet, very high in healthy fats. I don't eat any seed oils. One of the best things that you can do, um, regardless of how you eat, is get seed oils out of your diet. Canola, um, safflower, sunflower, um, all of these different seed oils. If you actually saw how the seed oil is processed, you would freak out. 
It's pretty similar to how you uh, described the uh, the crude oil turning into gasoline, really. It's kind of the same process. I think it's like the next door factory. Yeah, yeah it's the next door factory. <laughs> they, they, they just swap foremans. It's the same process. They, you know, they, they share staff. You know? <laughs> I'd rather have kerosene than have you know, canola oil. You know, when they press canola and they, they try to turn it into an oil, it comes out very gummy. It gets degummed with um, something called hexane, which is a very powerful neurotoxin. Right. So that's what degums it. And now it's like very um, cloudy. So they heat it to 450 degrees. When you heat an oil to 450 degrees, it turns rancid. It's actually instantly carcinogenic and it's rancid. The smell is awful. So they deodorize it and then they have to make it clear because it's cloudy. So they make it, they clear it with something called sodium hydroxide, one of the most powerful carcinogens in the world. So they use a neurotoxin and a carcinogen and heat created rancid oil and then they package it into a, a, a bottle of oil and they put it on the shelf and most restaurants use this to make your food and and we eat diets that are very very high in seed oils those are thieves and so i'm a big believer in the carnivore diet i'm a big believer in keto diets but in general i think a low carb lifestyle is the type of lifestyle that you should adopt you don't need to be keto you don't need to be uh, specifically carnivore the challenge with those diets and i'm fans of both of them is that most people don't have the discipline to stick to them you know those are diets that you can't flirt with right you can't date them you have to marry them and that's it you have a monogamous <laughs> relationship with keto or a monogamous relationship with carnivore. Um, you don't have a fling with those diets. So if you're if you lack that discipline, just go low carb, get seed oils out of your diet and get the whites out of your diet. White flour, white rice, white bread, white pasta, white potatoes. OK, we all want to know what carbs can we have then? Because you said get white out. So am I thinking whole grain sourdough? Oh, just fruit. Well, no, fruit. Whole grain, sourdough um, are also, you know, very good. Sweet potatoes um, are very good. You know, there's carbohydrates in vegetables. I, I like shelled hemp seeds, um, whole Greek, um, whole fat yogurts. So there are a lot of great clean sources of carbohydrates. You see, it's actually not the carbohydrate that's so damaging. It's the rate at which it raises insulin. Right. Okay. So it's a low GI then. The, the glycemic index needs to be low. Right. You want to keep your glycemic profile low. You know, in 22 years of research in the mortality space, I did not see a single Alzheimer's or demented patient that did not have 10 years of elevated blood sugar prior to. Do you know that the UK and the United States remain two of the only civilized nations in the world that continue to call Alzheimer's and dementia, Alzheimer's and dementia? Most countries are starting to call it what it is. It's type 3 diabetes. And if you Google type 3 diabetes, you will see the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Kellogg University, Berkeley, National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health. We irrevocably know that insulin resistance in the brain is early onset Alzheimer's. And we've developed a lie, a myth around these diseases that patients are losing their memory. That's actually not true. Patients are losing access to their memory. There is a difference between the memory itself fading and access to the memory fading because access can be restored. What happens in these states is that as we get insulin resistant in the brain, most board certified endocrinologists do not even realize that the brain makes its own insulin. The pancreas makes insulin. We know that, right? But the brain is such a voracious consumer of carbohydrate. It is so crack addicted to carbohydrates that it makes its own insulin. Do you know that the sweet receptor 
is also connected directly to the release of dopamine. It's called the RF1A2 receptor. When you get the sensation of sweet, you get the ding of dopamine. That doesn't happen with salt. It doesn't happen with sour. It happens with sweet. So most of us don't like sweets. Most of us are addicted to them. So we're driven to the mood that the sweet gives us, but it only lasts 30 seconds, a minute, minute and a half. So I like to think of food as whether or not it's going to serve me or steal from me, right? I'm going to let it into my house and I don't care how it's dressed. I don't care if it has a little pink, you know, wrapper and it's got some cute little writing on it. If it's a thief, it's not coming in, you know? So I just, I prioritize energy um, at a very, very high level. My energy is like, it's, it, it, it's everything to me. It's how I enjoy my family, my career. It's how I influence my patients. And so I just don't like things that steal, um, steal from me. So, so I don't let them in. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I always like fall off the wellness wagon round about Christmas. I mean, it's stress, it's traveling, it's kids. It's, I mean, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I've got four boys, you know, and I do put a lot of pressure on myself and I, I generally get kind of ill over that Christmas period. So I, I'm going to start again. And I, I mean, I, I give myself a break. I'm like, okay, fell off the wagon. Such is life. It's getting back on, isn't it? And you know, one of the best, the, the best sort of mantras I have with I'm in the shop, is this going to trigger a craving? I'll look at something and I'll say, if it's got sunflower oil in, or we call it rapeseed oil instead of canola. If it's got canola oil in, if it's got sugar in, even hidden sugars under all the millions of names we call it, it's going to trigger a craving. And I know I'll be back eating pizza before I know it. So put it back. It's not worth the craving, you know? That little so-called dopamine hit, it's not high enough for me, you know? <laughs> That's not a dopamine hit, it's some sugar. You're joking. me. Dopamine between a uh, you know a sugary muffin and getting out of a cold plunge night and day. I promise night and cold, day, plunge, right. cold showers will become their drug of choice. Meaning, like you cannot be in a bad mood getting out of an ice cold shower. You can be in a really bad mood going in, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and while you're in there, maybe, but you kind of adapt, don't you? All of a sudden, things are out of your control. The body adapts, and the brain switches to a different gear, and you're in a different you're in a different time zone. All of a sudden, it's like you're transported. What goes in comes out a completely different. Yeah, I mean, there's something to just dealing with it, right? I mean, people that that practice yoga understand this. Yoga is a metaphor for life. You look at, you know, um, some of these seemingly very simple poses to hold right? Warrior pose or candlestick pose. And it is causing so much stress and so much pain and so much sweat and the ability to maintain calm and to be centered while you're holding this pose, which is very good for you, is a metaphor for life. It makes you more resilient. Your body releases something called sirtuins, survival genes. And so now, you know, if you prepare like that in the beginning of the day, as you go throughout the day and you get this little nasty message on Instagram or, you know, your kids are, you know, 10 minutes late coming out of the car line or, you know, the teacher gives you a bad news about your, your, your kid or, you know, your husband leaves us. Every day, every day, Gary. <laughs> Remember, as soon as the emotion shifts, the memories you recall shift. This is why if you've ever had an argument with your spouse, you can recall with incredible accuracy every other time they made you feel that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can roll it back to the date, the time, the place, and what he was wearing. <laughs> the MTHFR that he is. The MTHFR, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you're like, uh, hey, you did this on September 21st when we were at your mother-in-law's house. You did this the other day when we were on the boat with our friends. And you did it in 1998 when we were on the playground. You know, it's because... 
Mood connects to the emotional state. Now imagine that you have that same argument on your way to work, right? You get out of the car, you slam the door and you walk into your office. When you break the plane of the door of your office, the only memories that you can recall at that moment are negative about the office. Now the office hasn't done anything to you. But now when you're walking in there, you go, you know what? Nobody respects me in this place. Molly Betty might be here today because she's after my job. I'm sick of her stuff and I'm not going to listen to any more a crap today and, you know, and, and nobody values the work that I do. I work harder than anybody in this office and Sarah steals a freaking stapler. And I'm, you know, and like it's already. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The inner monologue is yeah. ferocious. Yeah. And that's because your mood shifted. Now your memory shifts. By the way, you lose control once you lose control of the emotional state. That's why I'm such a big fan of methylation because it drives elevated mood. I'm such a big fan of ice cold showers and of breath work because it drives elevated mood. If I can elevate the mood and the emotional state of the masses, we can elevate the memories they recall, the conscious they project, and the future that they have for themselves. Gary, fantastic. Listen, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I know that all my followers are like, okay, where can I get in touch with this guy? He knows everything. He's going to change my life. So how can people contact you? What socials are you on? What are your handles? Best way to get me is um, on Instagram. I respond to all my DMs just at Gary, G-A-R-Y, Brecca, B-R-E-C-K-A. All I do is teach on Instagram. So everything we talked about today, I go into depth. I go into depth on cold plunging, breath work, diet, lifestyle, travel tips, morning routine, exercise, all of, you know, all of those things. Um, all of the latest and greatest in biohacking. I cover photobiomodulation, PMF mats, getting rid of EMF in your life. Um, I love to teach. I always thought if there was money in teaching, I would be a teacher. So, you know, if you, if you, if you like those kinds of topics, I, there, there's a lot of that information on my Instagram. Superb. And if people want to buy that test, which I know people will be eager to, what's the website? Um, 10x, the number 10, the letter X, healthtest.com. 10x, healthtest.com. Okay. And uh, you will be opening in Mayfair, I'm sure. By the time this goes out, you'll be able to come in and it's 10X at Dr. Sternum Cosmetics in Mayfair. Barbara Sternum it is. So you can actually go in in person and get a probably an analysis and a complete breakdown and just you get the swab there. Mm -hmm. Superb. Fantastic. Wonderful conversation. Fabulous to see you and to hear your wisdom and your experience. And uh, please join us again. Thank you so much, Savinia. We'll talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Love to everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hack Your Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and please share it far and wide so everyone else can get healthier. The more people we can educate and empower will lead us to a healthier life. Okay, so we make this show for you and I'd love to get your feedback. So please do review us or DM me on Instagram at Davinia Taylor. And once again, thank you to our episode partner, Nuchido. Make sure you check them out and don't forget to use the code Davinia20, that's D-A-V-I-N-I-A, number 20, to get 20% off your order at www.nuchido.com forward slash Davinia. I am currently taking their fabulous NAD precursors and finding them so beneficial to my mental health, physical health, energy, you got it. This has been an Underground Fan Club production.